Have you ever thought about what we say we believe as Christians? I mean, really thought about how it sounds to the world around us? And maybe you've been in conversations with people. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I know exactly how it sounds because I think you're all nuts and I don't really want to be here, but so-and-so dragged me here, so I'm here. <laughs> don't raise your hand. Don't. <laughs> and don't raise somebody's hand on their behalf. The resurrection sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? It sounds like a myth. It's, I think it's ironic that the, the world will say, you know, that's crazy talk, a cross and a resurrection, but, you know, an Easter bunny and colored eggs, that's really cool. We'll go with that. See, there's somebody calling right now saying, what are you guys doing in church? That's craziness. <laughs> it is, on one level, crazy, isn't it? It's a truth that seems so far out there so far removed from our day-to-day lives that someone could come, the Son of God, die in our place and rise from the grave, promising eternal life to all who believe. It sounds crazy. And then to be able to say because of all of that, we can be changed. We can be made new. So I want to help us to understand that yes, this is extreme. Yes, it's crazy on the one hand. And yet, it's really not that far removed from things each one of us have gone through. So I want to tell you something I know about you. I know this about you because it happened to all of us. You see, when you were in your mother's womb, when a baby is in their mother's womb, the heart works different than after we're born. Did you know this? It's almost backwards. You see, in the mother's womb, the baby's heart draws in blood from the connection between the mother where the baby's blood's picked up nutrients and oxygen. That baby's heart draws that in, pushes it out to the body. So it's bringing in, we'll call it good blood, okay? This is one of those sermons where nurses and doctors in here are just cringing, like, oh, just hold it, okay? My microphone, my time. All right? I'm just trying to make it how you can all understand it. Yeah, we'll say that. No, this is how it makes sense to me, okay? Bad blood comes in, or no, good blood comes in in the baby's heart, and then the baby's heart pushes that to the rest of the baby's body and then back to the connection with the mother where it picks up the nutrients and the oxygen and it all keeps going. Okay, good blood comes in, push to the body, the bad blood goes out. You with me so far? Okay. Did you know at the moment of birth, the heart changes like that. At the moment a baby is born, there's a valve in the middle of the heart that slaps shut. Because at that moment, the baby's lungs, the baby's intestines and digestive system that were absolutely worthless and would have been a waste of having the blood go there are suddenly vitally important. And that baby takes their first breath. And at that moment, that valve slaps shut. And when it does, the blood gets pushed to the lungs and to the digestive system, just like that. And other things take place that reroute the blood in the body. So now, as opposed to in the womb where the the heart was drawing in good blood and then pushing bad blood out, now it's drawing in the bad blood from the body pushing it to the lungs, pushing it to the digestive system, then pushing it out to the rest of the body and repeating the process. 
Now, nobody's going in there and taking the little connections in the baby's body and just saying, okay, unplug this and we got to put it here. And, you know, if this was a car and it was to be so replumbed, if you would, at that moment, somebody would have to take out all the parts, start switching things around, say, this goes here, this goes here, because now it all needs to work different. And that all happens within moments of a baby being born. Isn't that fascinating? God did that in your body the moment you took your first breath. And in the moments after that, other things were moving and and shutting, and so the blood was going even better and better, and then longer and longer, those things become permanent. And here we are today, breathing on our own, eating on our own, a very delicious breakfast, and our lives function completely different than they did in the womb. Why? Because we have a new life now. And the new life has differences. Things have changed. It's radically different. So think about that for a second. If our lives, our physical lives, could undergo this radical transformation from being in the womb to now just in the area of our heart, is it really so crazy to say that Jesus can change our lives? Because really, when you think about it, God changes lives all the time. He changes bodies. He changes the way we grow. He's changed the way our bodies have worked. He changes people from difficult times to times of joy and victory. God's in the business of changing lives. Now, imagine the baby comes out. And if at that moment that baby could think and realize what was going on and maybe was aware even in the womb and it's sitting there in the womb thinking, this is great, everything's going well, I got everything I need, mom's giving me everything I need, mom's taking everything I don't need, this is a wonderful situation. And then the baby comes out and goes, what? Are you kidding me? Wait a minute, doc, do you not understand how my heart works? Doctor, I take in good stuff, I give out bad stuff, and that all happens in the womb, and now all of a sudden you're making me use these two things you call lungs, and you want me to eat stuff, and wait a minute, that's not the way, doctor. It's not the way my body works. I know how my body works. Put me back. I often think that babies are totally aware, they just can't quite talk yet, and that's why they cry all the time, because they just don't, it's all they can do. But could you imagine? I mean, for nine months, that baby has lived a certain way. Everything is gone the way it should go. Everything worked just fine, and now suddenly their bodies have to work completely different. And that baby might be tempted to say, no way, doc, this is not going to work for me. I don't like this arrangement at all. Please put me back. And I think sometimes... When we hear about the gospel, it seems so foreign to us. It seems so out of place with our life and the way we live and the world around us. And we say, this is craziness. This is so far out there because it's different. It's different than what's normal for us. We're like that baby saying, no, 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 no. I know what's normal. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, you don't. Let me explain to you the new normal. And so we're talking this morning about living the resurrection. What does it mean to be alive and to live our lives in light of the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, rose from the grave? Because that truth has changed everything. So we're going to start by looking at the idea that the resurrection is 
powerful. Think of the power that could raise the Son of God from the dead after bearing all of our sins. You know, that baby, after it's born, would have a hard time understanding that now it needs to eat for itself. Now it needs to to breathe for itself. It thinks, I know the power that was in the mother's womb. I understand the way that that worked and, and everything was fine there, but now this is different. And somebody needs to be able to say, no, 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 it's okay. You're still going to get your food and your oxygen and your nutrients. In fact, a lot of it you're still going to get from the mother. And, and you know, the bad stuff that you don't need any mother, more that's going to get rid of too. And, and a lot of the stuff you're going to give back to the mother. And it's going to work out. Just let that set in a little bit. Okay. I just worked the dirty diaper into an Easter sermon. Okay. I've got a two-year-old. It's always on my mind. But it's okay. Because this new way that seems so foreign works. It works because there's power there. Open up to Matthew chapter 28. If you were here on Good Friday, I read Matthew chapter 27. Uh, I think we started about verse 26, and I read all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 66. And so we read about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, because I really think there is no better way to celebrate these momentous times as Christians, whether it be the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, now the resurrection of Christ, other than starting with his word and just going there and say, God, you tell us the story. So I want to pick up the story, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I love that phrase. The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. Isn't that how we often feel when we're in exciting but very new sort of situation? There's this fear. I I don't quite understand how everything's supposed to work here. This is brand new. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to act. I'm not sure how this is going to go. And yet there can be this wonderful sense of joy. But you know, as people, we're sort of naturally resistant, I think, to fear. We like to control things. We like to say, this is the way it's going to go. And so we resist things that we are caused to give up control to because we're afraid. And a lot of people don't come to Christ because they say, no, 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 I'm good. I've got this power. I've got this control in my life. And I don't need to give that up to anybody else. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's the power of the resurrection. There is new life. Maybe you're here and you've been going through your days. Maybe you're, you're here and you've had some things going on in your life and there's been just this nagging feeling. This isn't right. Something's not quite right. Something, it shouldn't go this way. Life shouldn't be this hard. There shouldn't be this much hurt. There shouldn't be this much sorrow. And so often we take those times of desperation and we put them on God and we say, God, who do you think you are? You're totally screwing everything up. Why should I believe in you? And we go our own way. And yet God says, wait a minute. I've done everything necessary and possible to fix that. I sent my son to die in your place. That's the new life of the gospel. Jesus takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. We talked about this on Good Friday. That's the great exchange of this good news of salvation. He freely took our sin, went to the cross, paid the price, and then he rose from the dead. He said, I will give to you my righteousness. My perfect relationship with God is yours. Come with me into new life. That's powerful. But it's easy to say that. Just as it's easy, for the baby at least, to be born. And to say, okay, but how am I supposed to trust all this? What is there to show me that this is the real deal, that there really is life here and that I can keep on going? I want you to consider for a second the disciples. Think about, if you know some of the stories who the disciples were when they first met Jesus, just sort of a ragtag group, some of them fishermen, just typical blue-collar guys for the most part. They really were nobody special. They follow Jesus around. They start believing him. They're trusting in him. They see Jesus do amazing things. And then Jesus gets arrested. And what happens to the disciples? Well, you would think over this time, they've become really bold. I mean, they've seen some of the most amazing things ever. You would think at this time, they'd be like, hey, our Lord just got arrested. Bring it on. We're right there. We're going to charge this. We're going to hold on to our faith no matter what. Is that what happened? No, they all became a bunch of cowards. Peter, kind of one of the leaders of the disciples, This guy that was so bold that he would jump out of a boat and walk on water because he just wanted to be with Jesus. He gets confronted by a little slave girl who says, hey, you know that guy that they're arresting, right? And what does Peter do? To a servant girl who had no power and no authority, Peter goes, "Uh uh-uh, I don't know that guy. I don't know him at all. We have this picture often of people in the Bible as as giants of the faith. Like they're these superheroes. We need to take a really hard, close look because they're not superheroes. They're us. They're just typical people struggling to hold on to their faith. And that's what the disciples were doing. And in that moment when their Lord and Savior was arrested, put on trial, and they knew he was in big trouble because he wasn't doing anything about it, they were afraid. Fast forward a few days and weeks. And here they are, suddenly in front of a crowd in Jerusalem. 
And Peter, who was afraid to tell a lowly servant girl that he even knew Jesus, they're standing up in the public square, publicly proclaiming, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, he was crucified, he has risen, and he is the only way of salvation. What changed? What could possibly take that scared little group and give them that kind of power and strength and boldness? They saw the risen Lord. The resurrection is powerful. And when they saw that Jesus had risen from the dead, they knew something that, quite frankly, as people, I think we struggle with today. This changes everything. At that moment, they didn't care what people thought about them. They didn't care if they went out and got in trouble. All they cared about was the world needed to know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Consider Paul. Paul was one of the most sincere, devout, religious people you could possibly find. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you say, I know this is weird. I don't normally come to this church. I've got my own church, or I'm just really religious in my own way, and I'm just very sincere, and I do this, and I do that, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. Me and God, we're like this, because I do all the right things. That was Paul. He did all the right things. So much so that when he came across Christians, he said, this is a threat to my religion. This is a threat to my way of life. These people are saying, you need to accept Jesus who just died for you. And and that's crazy talk. So I can't put up with this. So he was arresting Christians, rounding them up, putting them in jail. And this Paul, who was so religious and so self-sufficient and relying on his own power, one day he's out in the streets. And he's preaching about Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation. And he's writing letter after letter after letter. And he's traveling the world, leaving everything behind to tell people about Jesus Christ. Why? What changed? He met the risen Lord. The resurrection changed everything for Paul. When he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, when Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's going, or Saul, Paul, whatever you want to call him. He goes, wait a minute, uh, you? And at that moment, I think something in Saul's mind just clicked. and went, oh, he's alive, just like the song. All that stuff I thought I believed, it's all garbage now. He's alive. That means he really is the son of God. He really did die in my place. And he really does promise eternal life to all who believe. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. That's pretty powerful stuff. That the old has gone and the new has come. Sorry. You know, that baby, when it's born, might have a lot of questions and a lot of doubts. And in our lives and in our struggles, we have a lot of questions and a lot of doubt. But we need to hold on to the fact that Jesus, through his resurrection, has provided a new way of life, an eternal way of life. But his resurrection isn't just the power for our life. It's also the proof that the gospel is true. The unborn child only knows one way of living. All he knows was what's going on in the womb. That's it. That's his whole existence. We know one way of living. We get up, 
We do our work. We do the family thing. We, we, we do maybe some church stuff. We, we do things on our own. And if we do A, B, and C, then D, E, and F will happen in general. And if they don't, we call that a bad day and we try to get over it. And we just keep going. Cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. And we grab onto things to give our lives meaning. We grab onto things to give ourselves hope. What if, for that baby when they're born, what if there was somebody that could say, hey, kid, I know this is rough. I know this is a big change, but you know what? A few of us have been through that before. We've done this. Do you think that would mean something? To have somebody be able to come to you and say, I've gone through this. You're going to make it. Maybe you've lost a loved one or you've been through a difficult time or, or a new job or whatever it is and somebody comes along and is able to say, man, I've been there. Hey, let, let's talk. Doesn't that mean something? Doesn't that give you encouragement to be able to keep going? Look at 1 Corinthians 15.20. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, I know that's one of those passages you go, ah, Okay, I don't get why we're talking about this. Do you know what a first fruit is? When a farmer is about to collect their crops, they would go out early because some of the things would ripen a little bit early. They'd be ready to be picked out a little bit earlier. And the farmer would go out and just collect a few of those early ripening fruits or grains or whatever they are. And he would bring those in. And he would say, how's it taste? How is it? How's the health of the plant? How's the health of the fruit? And he would look at that And they called that the first fruits. And he said, if this little bit that came from that crop is good, then I know this is going to be a really good year. Because that's what the rest of my crop is going to be like. It's the first fruits. It's a sign of what is to come. That's what the Bible says Jesus is to us in his resurrection. When we look at Jesus, we are seeing the proof of what God can accomplish in our life the new life that he has for us. Jesus is standing on the other side of salvation, on the other side of the grave, risen to new life, and he's saying to us, hey, come on, I've got this. Just walk with me. Just trust me. I've been there. I've gone through it, and you will too, because I've given you new life. In this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, and if you're visiting with us, we're actually in a a series on 1 Corinthians, We're walking through it. We'd love to have you join us. We're about halfway through. We'll get to 1 Corinthians 15 in in probably about two months, uh, but we'll get there. (laughs) So I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Somebody looked at the chapter that we have to deal with next, and they said, are you preaching that on Easter Sunday? No. No, it, it really doesn't fit. There's some hard topics in 1 Corinthians. But in this passage on the resurrection, Paul says, look, if Christ has not been risen, then this life is all there is. This is it. If Christ has not been risen, then your faith is useless. It is silly to be a Christian if there is no resurrection. If Christ has not been risen, then our sins cannot and are not forgiven. If Christ has not been risen, we are to be pitied more than anyone. Think about that for a second. Because there are a lot of people that just say, well, you know, it's, it's just good to be religious. It's just good to believe. I, I don't really believe in Christ, and we'll take that part out, and we'll just sort of redefine that. That's a myth. That's kind of a fairy tale. But let's face it, there's a lot of other good things in Scripture, and we'll hold on to that. 
You know what Paul would say to that? Garbage. He would say, no, no, close the doors. Shut the church. Forget the Bible studies. Get out. If Christ has not been risen, this is foolish. But if Christ has been risen, then there is new life. And faith in Christ really does change everything. If Christ has been risen, then sin has been conquered and we can be forgiven. If Christ has been risen, we can boldly live as we trust in the resurrection. Everything has changed if Christ is risen. And so we're presented with this choice. Do we really believe? Do we truly, truly believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has risen from the dead? Living the resurrection, living in light of the fact of this truth and believing this, is not to say then that we turn around and we say, okay, well, I believe Jesus Christ died for me and he rose from the grave, so I'm just going to be a really good person now. I'm going to do the right things, dot all my I's, cross all my T's, I'm going to do all the good things and make myself the type of person that is worthy of the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. That is not living the resurrection. You see, the baby by taking that breath, the baby, by getting the nutrients on their own, the baby, by growing, does not give itself life. The baby doing all those things is doing those things because the baby has been given life. Do you see the difference? We live for Christ because he's made us alive. Not in the hopes that one day Jesus will take out our scorecard and say, Well, you did okay. All right, I'll let you in. Here's new life. We live the new life because he's already given to us now. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. There's the proof. If you are in Christ, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the old you is gone. The way your body worked, the way your life worked, the way your spirit worked, the way the world worked, gone. You're a new self in Jesus Christ. That baby faces a lot of changes at birth. New environment, new sights and sounds, new way of the heart working. It's a completely new way of living. It's hard to become a Christian. And sometimes we, we make it so easy. We, we say, oh, it's okay, just add Jesus on to your already perfect life and it'll just be that much more perfect. And, and we sort of make it so... It's not easy to become a Christian. Oh, it's easy to accept Christ. But then our, it's like our brains have to be rewired. All these things we think are normal suddenly aren't normal because Christ is risen from the dead. And we have to factor that into everything that we do. It's a completely new way of living. But Jesus looks at us and says, I've got this. Trust me. The world's turning against you. It's okay. Trust me. You're having doubts. It's okay. Just trust me. You're going through a tough time. You're suffering. You're sick. Jesus is saying, trust me. I've got this. If I can raise from the dead, I've got you. That's the proof. On the cross, Jesus shows us the full extent of our sin. By going to the end of our sin, taking the punishment so we don't have to. He did it so we don't have to. In the resurrection, Jesus shows us the full extent of the new life that he gave and that he gives. 
He goes there for us so that we can too. What a grace. What what a moment of a gracious exchange for him to say, I'll take your sin and I'll give you new life. We can live the resurrection now. We need to trust in this new source of life, this new way of living. We need to pour over Scripture and say, God, feed me out with the old, in with the new. Change my thoughts, change my heart, change my mind. Because everything has changed. And we can live in response to the fact that we have new life in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're thinking, man, this is all just crazy talk. Look, you're right. It is. Based on this world, the way this world works, the things we consider normal, this is crazy talk. But can I suggest to you, the life and the grace and the joy that is available through the craziness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is far better than anything this world has to offer. I would rather be a fool for Christ than an absolute scholar in this world. Because the resurrection has changed everything. And one day, just as Christ appeared to the disciples and they were completely changed, and they said, whoa, this changes everything. And then Christ appeared to Paul and everything was completely changed. And he said, whoa, this changes everything. One day Christ is going to appear to this world again and everyone will see him. And everything will be changed. But now is the moment of salvation. Now is the offer of grace. And So if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, think about the resurrection and the difference it makes. And just say, God, make that difference in my heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has accomplished our salvation, who has conquered sin and death, and who is able to boldly offer new life to all who believe because he himself was risen from the grave. God, may we understand this changes everything. And may we then wake up tomorrow morning and live in light of the fact that Jesus is alive. And may that change everything about who we are and how we live. In your name we pray. Amen.